And on the phone now, we have um, Elaine Myrna, um, who's with the Ireland Refugee Solidarity Group. And Elaine is just back from, um, from bringing a convoy uh, to Calais. Hi, how are you? No, Elaine is with the Ireland Refugee Solidarity Group. Um, and um, Elaine, you, you were with us not so very long ago on the programme and you were planning to go to Calais and you had uh, planned a big convoy to, to go there. And uh, could you tell us how everything has been going? Because uh, you promised to come back and tell us how, how things went. And uh, yeah. do you want to go back a little bit and tell us what happened maybe beforehand, the kind of support that you got, first of all, and then how you got to Calais and um, how things went? Okay, well, um, we started as a small, a small little group. Uh, a few of us wanted to head over to, to Calais and bring some aid um, to the camp in in Calais, and it got a bit of radio airtime. And then the whole of Ireland decided that they wanted to help too, and it was amazing. We have warehouses full of aid donated, um, over eighty thousand euros in the GoFundMe account. Um, so then we ended up going over with a team of 53 volunteers in the end uh, with three trucks, six vans and a bus full of people with a medical team, a building team um, and lots of able bodies uh, for litter picking and um, distributions and lots of different ways to, to help out over there. So um, it, it was it was very, very successful. Mm. Absolutely um, extraordinary support, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's uh, like really amazing. You know, yeah, and you, you actually had a boss of a medical team, you had a yeah. building team, that, that, and and you had fifty three volunteers that went. Not mind all the people who helped beforehand. An exactly. extraordinary support. Well done yeah. on that. So, much. so tell me about the you know you how the the, the journey there first of all. Okay, well we went we went by boat. We went from um, Rosslare to Sherbourg, and then drove up to to Calais. Um, it just kind of avoided England, made it a bit easier getting on and off boats, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that's the way the route that we took. So it was a, it's a long hour trip, but it was fine. Um, it gave the team a chance to kind of bond and get to know each other. So we arrived there then on the Friday evening, I think it was, mm-hmm. and into the camp um, then on the Saturday morning. So we started off in the warehouse um, with our trucks and our and our vans with our building supplies and our medical aid and our clothes and uh, everything that people had, had given to us or as much as we could bring of what people had given to us. So uh, then we headed into the camp, uh, myself and Tracy and a couple of the other girls uh, headed into the camp at around, I think it was around half nine or ten in the morning where we were kind of, it was a baptism of fire really. Mm-hmm. Um, we headed up from the warehouse into the camp. We hadn't reached the camp yet and we came across what seemed to be like police checkpoints or kind of a, a blockade of some sort. Um, there was a bus full of uh, what we realised then was refugees. Um, no idea where they ended up. That was a that was a police that was a police um, bus that they had all put them into. Um, again, like I said, we, we, we have no idea where those people ended up. Um, we were told to turn back around the zip road. We went back down and as we did this, uh, there was a couple of um, people from the camp that were crossing the road in front of us, two women in particular, and they had just gotten over the you know, the kind of crash barrier at the mm-hmm. side of it, and the police drove up with their van and pulled down the window and pepper sprayed them in the face. And uh, they were just standing there, is it? So were... they, were, they were just crossing the road, they had just gotten over to the other side, okay. and they, yeah, and they pepper sprayed them, which we um, got on video, so that's up on our... On our page, we're trying, mm-hmm. we're trying to spread that. Um, and was that so, the, was that common? Did you see that a few times? Or uh, well, 
it's common, but it's, it's, it's rare to get it on video yeah. as recently as we did. Yeah, it was very, very rare to get it on video the way, the way we got it. We happened to have um, Isolde and Rachel in the van with us who were our communications team. Um, so she had the camera rolling um, mm-hmm. and the police showed us that they had theirs rolling as well. But uh, like I said, we weren't, we weren't in anything illegal and it seems that, you know, I, I can't see any lawful reason for them to have, have done what they did, but they did. Um, so anyway, we went into the camp. Yeah. Then um, after that, and oh, I don't know how to describe it. Um, met by the most amazing people in the most dire circumstances. Really, is yeah. is the only way to to describe it. Um, we came in the entrance where the family area is. So the first person I spoke to was a, a lady called Iman. She was there with her little baby sitting on her lap and her little boy laying at her feet, three years of age. Um, they were there after a food distribution um, and he had a little box of Cheerios happy out so um, they had just arrived the night before um, her husband was he arrived on to us there then a few minutes later um, they had stayed in a tent that two guys had allowed them to share with them um, so yeah that was that was our first encounter um, and how many people are in that camp now? Uh, at the time we were there about four and a half thousand but I mean I just read a report yesterday that they they believe it's risen to six thousand it could have been close to that when we were there as well there was newcomers coming in all the time and how, um, how what are the logistics like on the ground like how is food distributed for instance and how um, I mean how did you work with local organizations or, or we were we worked very closely with the local organizations like I wouldn't ever recommend just rocking up with a boot full of stuff mm-hmm. and opening it up you know what I mean it's going to lead to unrest it's going you know what i mean yeah. these are people who were who are struggling in general they're they're finding themselves in an awful awful environment and you know if you have if you have people coming up and they're just opening their boot with no organization no experience you know not knowing mm-hmm. the, the politically correct way to do it then it, it leads it leads to, to tension so um we we work closely with laborage the migrants who are an ngo over there um and you know we we, t- we took the lead from them so where they wanted us to go or how they recommended we we did distributions it's exactly how we did it you know we didn't we didn't do it off our own back um we uh, you know like we say there's there's um a tent as you go in along um that's kind of for newcomers which you know it's, it's run by um a uk group and they have tents and sleeping bags and blankets in there so anybody who just has just arrived on they give them the basic as in the basics, they give them a tent and they give them a sleeping bag and they're told to go find a spot to pitch their tent. And then, you know, I, I found, personally, I found the people who had just arrived very hard to to deal with in the sense, not in a person, in a personal sense for me, because they, they just, when they reach the camp, they just are in shock. The shock in their faces is, you've ne- I've, I've never... Um, seen somebody actually suffer from shock until that day when I arrived in the camp. I, I, I actually witnessed this guy from Syria, uh, Wasim was his name, um, and he just could not believe where he was. He just, he had a backpack on his back. He was, you know, clean shaven. He was just arriving on, trying to get to the UK. His family, his wife and his two children are in, in Damascus, you know, and he was hoping to get to the UK so that he could send for them. And definitely he realizes he's at a dead end with 18 million euro worth of razor wire fencing surrounding him to stop him from getting to the UK. And it just, the shock was just hard to, to comprehend and to, to witness it and to look at it in someone's, in someone's face was 
very difficult yeah, to Yeah, it sounds absolutely see. extraordinary. I mean, you can just imagine yourself arriving oh. um, in a situation like that and it's just beyond our comprehension, really. It's completely. It's, like, it's, I, I, I said it, I, I put up a post, you know, there's no way you can understand it until you spent a day in that mm. camp and spoke to people. You know, I, I have a, another friend of mine over there now and he's he messaging me there yesterday and he's normally a very strong, positive guy and he's just kind of down in himself, obviously, Um and he just said, he just said, people don't deserve this. He said, people deserve a home. They don't deserve a tent or a jungle, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of women and children. There's a lot of young, innocent guys. There's a six, 16, 17-year-old. Younger, there's like 11, 12-year-old boys that are unaccompanied. You know, they don't have a parent with them. Yeah. And they're there trying to, every single night, walk 14 kilometers to get to a tunnel to try to catch a train. And when I say catch a train, I mean physically catch a moving train. God. and hold on to it until it makes it to the UK. That's what they physically have to do. There's two or three hundred people at any one time in the in the local hospital with missing limbs, missing arms, missing legs, you know, that you don't see around. You know, they're they're well hidden. But I was told this by Zamako. He's a guy who's living in the camp over there and he's um he was helping us. We actually uh, provided him with supplies, with um, a generator and tools to build a, a small hospital on the camp. And... Um, we, we were driving with him in the van and he, I was in the back sitting beside him and he said, he pointed at the hospital and told me that there's two or three hundred people in there at any one time, you know, with horrific injuries. You know, I mean, it was reported, one of the guys messaged me to tell me five died in the tunnel. Um, what day is today? Five died in the tunnel. Was it Friday night or, or Thursday night? Mm. And the news reports that there's one. But I know for a fact that one of the, one of the people who died was a lady and also her child who was with her as she tried to jump on the train and the two of those died and that's not even in the news. Yeah. I mean, it's just shocking. Like, it's just absolutely... Yeah, and I think, first of all, I don't think we're we're really hearing that level of, of no. um, personal, that, that kind of personal, you no. know, contact with it. But even if we are, I'm not even sure whether one can, you know, fully take it in um, no, in terms of, you know, when you see it in the media because in some ways we're so... Um, I don't know. Like we're protected from desens- it. Yeah, to protect it, protect it, desensitized almost sometimes or numbed yeah. even. What you're painting there is actually sounds absolutely yeah, but this is, utterly horrendous. This is in France. This is in, in France. You walk in, it's it's a third world slum. It's yeah. it's it's a third world slum. There's no electricity. There's a couple of taps here and there. There's there's raw sewage. There's there's tents that have rocks holding the sides of them down that have maybe a tarp over them and they're sitting inside these little tents with a gas cooker cooking the little bit of dinner if they're lucky enough to have a gas cooker. If not, they have a few little candles for a bit of heat, which is obviously a severe fire risk, mm. you know, for, for the people living in them. I mean, but mm. at the same time then, you the smile, the welcome, the I think the first thing that was said to, to us by somebody with a smile on their face was, hello, welcome to the new city. You know, from from a from a resident, from a from a refugee in the camp, they're so happy to see us. They, you know, they they have a little restaurant that going there. They have shops. They have they have a few restaurants actually. Two of them are made it onto Google Maps. You know, have they got schools? Um... There's a school. There's a mm. library. There's a church. There's mm. um, our builders, Gronia and her team, um, actually built the most beautiful women and children centre. Um, that's been used for like little boutique mornings for the ladies, um, mother and toddler day, you know, mother and toddler mornings. It's it's really really nice. It's doves in them, and mm. you know, like I mean, how long then, how and, long and, have people been there at this stage um, in oh, that particular camp? 
the majority of them came in the spring, I think. Um, you know, so only a few months. You know, it's, it's it's not a long time. A lot of them though would be would have been traveling or moving for a, for a lot longer. One guy, Ahmed, um, we actually he actually insisted on telling his story. He really wanted to be interviewed, so we interviewed him, and that's up on our on our page too. Um, mm-hmm. He's been he's been he's been kind of moving since he was thirteen. He made it from Afghanistan to the UK. Um, mm. Lived in the UK for seven years or more. Uh, and then they decided to deport him back to Afghanistan, and he's now made his way back over again, and has made it as far as Calais. And I mean, he just feels his interview is very, very moving. Actually, he he just doesn't understand. There's, there's no he doesn't feel there's any human rights in in France in the in in Europe. He's he'd be happy as he puts it with animal rights that we treat our animals better than they're treated, and that's a fact. Mm-hmm. If we had left a dog out in or cattle out in the weather, in the conditions, with the lack of food, the lack of amenities, the lack of basic, basic amenities, you, I'd, be, I'd be arrested if I left a dog in those conditions, hmm. you know, and rightfully so. And, and the people, yeah. like I said, with young children, Jamila, another lady who arrived on a few days before we arrived, and we'd heard word of it, um, pregnant, eight to nine months pregnant, she had her baby actually a couple of days after we came home, um, you know, like, it's it's just it's really you're 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 doing very well to describe such a horrendous kind of situation. It's, it's I mean, the people it's just... that make it, it's the people that make it bearable <sighs> in there. You know, like they break your heart and they lift your spirits in the very same moment. Like you know, I mean, if they saw one of us getting upset, they're very quick to comfort us. You know, but and we're just getting upset by what we see. Yeah, and they're like, it's okay, it's okay, we'll be fine. You know, okay. or yeah. if you talk about you know police brutality, they're like, it's okay, but they don't they don't kill us, so it's okay. You know, right. it, it's just it's just unfathomable. It's just it's in France. Most yeah. of us go there for a little. Yeah. Summer, you know, or even a weekend or break or something, an hour yeah. away on the plane, sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, where are you going from here now? Do you know, um, as a group, you know what's what's your plan? Or well, as a group, I mean, the main focus is going to have to be uh, like I, I found when we were over there. It's gas. Like we speak English, we're white skinned so all, most of the guys in the camp and the people in the camp thought that we were from the UK because you know, just like we would think. You know, mm. whatever Spanish people are Portuguese, it's very, very similar. Mm. Um, so they were, they were saying, "Oh, we'll come to Ireland," and we were like, "No, actually, don't come to Ireland. The direct provision is terrible. You could spend years living there, have children there that were born and reared, and then get deported." So I think deportation laws and direct provision is going to be a big focus of the group. Also, you know, I mean, I'm I'm trying to drum up support to get builders to go over. We need them immediately to go over to Calais to build proper structures there's a project going on at the minute to try to get everybody into some kind of better um better shelter than a tent for the winter i mean our winters aren't good here so a tent wouldn't last a week out in the back garden never mind so one. if there are any builders listening today builders, um uh, well, who, who should they contact elaine they can call me they can call yeah. me um yeah. can i give out your number um yeah, yeah. i'll call it out there so it's 087 387 Six one eight three, um, and I have contact with the um, the lady who's who's kind of coordinating the building project over there. So any skills, uh, carpenters, ideally we can't build permanent structures. Nothing cement based has to be all timber. Um, so it's so it's a temporary structure, uh, and they need them ASAP immediately for even if it's only for a few days. They have mm-hmm. a little um, 
production line going in the warehouse so they're kind of building them up to assemble them on camp um you know honestly it would be the most life-changing experience of, of your of your life you know and what's your uh, facebook page uh, address again uh it, it's Cor- her name oh, hang on now. Uh, it's cork Calais refugee solidarity is still the one we're working off of okay it was the one that we started um but there is an Ireland Refugee Solidarity one as well. But you can find me anyway on Facebook, okay. Elaine Myrna, M-E-R-N-A-G-H. Um, so you can find me and just send me a private message. Could you spell your surname again, M? M-E-R-N-A-G-H. And your telephone number is 087-387-6183. Yeah, so if anybody wants to, to go over, for like I said, for building is, is the initial immediate, you know, immediate need. It, it, it's going to be people... I mean, we're looking at setting up at the minute. Our builders are going over. They're going to build a vaccination centre for, for oh, I tell you, like diseases that don't happen in a in a first world country that are mm. going to happen. That are going to kick in there over the winter, yeah. unless we get them, unless we get them proper shelter, proper sanitation, which is not really going to realistically. It's not going to happen. You know, it's mm. it's it, it, it's the middle of October now. Yeah. You know, we feel what our winter nights are like. So, mm. can you imagine it over there? And it's going to be really cold as well. Oh yeah. my God! Um, all right. Well, listen, Elaine, I'll have to leave you. But uh, like, yeah. thank you very much for for that. And well, again, I, I don't know if "well done" is the right word exactly, but um, but um, you Look, know, even if we're raising some awareness and yeah. just opening people's eyes, and I, I really, truly believe that people need to get before you think or before you. Before you you say oh well, sure look we can't we can't manage it in our in our, in our country we have two hundred fifty thousand empty houses in this country these people are skilled they're highly educated they're extremely resourceful to get to where they have gotten and to still be walking on two legs is just phenomenal I don't know how how they've done it and then still greet you with a smile and a cup of tea you know which is what they do they love their tea so we fit right in mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah and go, so many people you know. offering rooms etc etc um, yeah so listen thank you very much Elaine um, no and we'll talk again no doubt and we'll catch up again and, and how, on your progress and uh, again uh, well done to everybody involved and your fantastic effort and, and thanks very much to everybody who supports us and everybody who's donated or given aid or given you know money into our account it's just it's been amazing and thanks so much because you know it wouldn't have been so successful without, without all the help at home. Okay, well thank you. We'll leave it there. Thanks, Elaine. Bye-bye now.